Thank you, James and Macy. Let's invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 7 this morning. Luke chapter 7. If you're visiting, we're going verse by verse through Luke's gospel. We find ourselves in a series entitled Astonished. Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10 will be our text this morning. So I'd invite you to stand with me in honor of God's word. Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. You've got it there in front of you. Say amen. And the Bible says, when Jesus had completed all his discourse to the hearing of the people, he went to Capernaum. And a centurion slave who was highly regarded by him was sick and about to die. And when he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders asking him to come and save the life of his slave. When they came to Jesus, they earnestly implored him, saying, He is worthy for you to grant this to him, for he loves our nation, and it was he who built us our synagogue. Now Jesus started on his way with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself further, for I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. For this reason, I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority with soldiers under me. I say to this one, go, and he goes. To another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled at him and turned and said to the crowd that was following him, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. And when those who had been sent, returned to the house, they found the slave to be in good health. Let's bow together. Father, it's a great privilege to open up the scripture, to know uh, that this is your word to us this morning. And God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would um, really plant it deep within our hearts, that it would spring up uh, the fruit of righteousness, but it also would spring up the fruit of peace in our life. And God, I know there are individuals facing difficulties today, so use this text to really challenge us to grow in our faith, uh, to come to know you greater, and to understand your authority greater. And we'll give you glory for what you do this morning. Use the word to draw people to salvation who don't know you personally, and uh, do a great work in their hearts as well. And we'll give you praise for it. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said, amen, and you can be seated. You know, it's one thing for people to be astonished with the person of Jesus. We've talked about that throughout our study of Luke's gospel, that people were astonished with Jesus. But it's altogether different for Jesus to be astonished with people. You know, as we study the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, we find on at least two major occasions when Jesus was astonished at the response of others. And when I say astonished, it literally means that he marveled or he was amazed. On one occasion in Mark's gospel, we read that Jesus, listen, he could not do miracles there except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. And then the Bible says, and he marveled at their unbelief. So in the hometown of Jesus, which was Nazareth, the Bible says he could barely do any miracles there because the people did not trust him. They did not have faith and confidence in him. On the other hand, our text this morning reveals that Jesus was amazed by the faith of a centurion Gentile man. You notice again in the text, Luke 7 and verse 9, the Bible says that Jesus marveled at him. That is, Jesus was amazed and even astonished at the confidence that this man had in him. It was the faith of this centurion man which seemingly caught Jesus off guard. So you can imagine Jesus looking and listening to what the word back from this man was and his eyes get big and his jaw drops and he is overwhelmed by the faith in this man. 
Now, most of you would agree with the statement this morning that I'm about to make, and it is very simple. God has unlimited capabilities to accomplish mighty works in our current circumstances. You believe that? Say yes. Uh, many of us believe that. However, the question boils down to whether or not we genuinely have faith and trust that Jesus can work in our current circumstance. It's one thing to say you believe, but it's altogether entirely different to have genuine faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. You know, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9, we read a phenomenal recollection of Jesus entering into a home. There were some blind men there. Jesus goes up to the blind men and says, Do you believe that I can do this? His question literally was, Do you believe that I can cause you to see? And the blind men responded, Yes, we do. And then the scripture says in Matthew chapter 9 that Jesus made this statement. It shall be done to you according to your faith. And then in that moment their eyes were opened. Now, Matthew's gospel also reminds us where Jesus tells you and I as his disciples that we are to pray, asking in prayer, believing that we will receive. Now, ladies and gentlemen, look at me real quick, eyeball to eyeball. Jesus says that we pray, asking prayer, believe, and receive. Do y'all believe that? I don't think you do. I think if all of us, and I know where some people's minds go to, it goes to the uh, prosperity gospel. We ain't remotely touching that, all right? So hang with me. By the way, that ain't the gospel. But if we really believe Jesus heard our prayers and actually answered them, this fellowship, including this pastor, would be overwhelmingly always involved in praying to the Lord. See, it's one thing to come together with our church mask on and say, yeah, we believe all that. It's completely different to put it into practice every single day. You know, one of Jesus' primary roles in developing a disciple is to both test and to strengthen his or her faith. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14, we read about Peter walking on the water. You remember that text of Scripture. His faith was in Jesus. His focus was on Jesus Christ. But as soon as he took his eyes off of Jesus, he began to sink. But remember what occurred in that particular moment where Peter went from having great faith to unbelief. The Bible teaches us that Jesus immediately stretched out his hand and took hold of him. And then he makes this statement. Listen to what he says. He says, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? You know, many times in our lives, I think if we'd be honest with one another, we would say we are just like Peter. We waver back and forth. At one moment, we have great confidence in Jesus. Then in other moments, we are sinking in the midst of life, unfocused on the Lord Jesus Christ and really filled with unbelief. We've turned our attention away from the Lord. Now, for me, studying this text uh, this past week, what has been jaw-dropping for me is that my lack of faith could keep God from accomplishing certain things in my life. But go a step further, what is equally jaw-dropping for me is that my faith could actually free God up to do something in my life. Free him up. It's amazing to even consider that. Uh, to put it another way, let's just kind of uh, say it like this. If your life, are y'all with me say yes? If your life right now could be transported back to the life and ministry of Jesus, and you are right there with Jesus, how would Jesus respond to the level of faith that you are expressing right now in your life? What would Jesus say to you? Would he look at you and say, man, I've not seen faith like this in all of Concord? Or would he look at you and say, why are you doubting? 
you of little faith. You know, it leads me to ask a question, how can I determine the level of my faith in Jesus? Kind of give it to you like this on a scale of 1 to 10. 1 is like real teeny tiny. 10 is massive. It's huge. Where is your faith? Where do you line up on that scale? And this morning, and I'm going to be honest with you. Y'all looking at me real quick? Real honest. If I were preparing to preach anywhere, I probably would never go to this passage of Scripture. Y'all all right? And the reason is, I'm like, all right, that's some good stuff in there. But God has so taught me some truths this week that I can't wait now to share it with you. You know what I'm saying? It's one of those where you've read it, you've heard it a whole bunch of times, and it's like, man, that's good. But then you get in there and study it and squeeze it, and all of a sudden you get some juice. Y'all with me? And God just began to teach some great things this week about my own personal life. And to show me, and I hate to admit this, but to show me that my faith, more often than not, is teeny tiny as opposed to massive and huge. And so how do we determine that? Two ways we can determine it this morning. Y'all ready to say yes? First way, very simply, is this. We must examine our response to life's impossible situations. And notice with me at verse 2, the Bible says the centurion slave, who was highly regarded by him, was sick and about to die. So the centurion faced an impossible circumstance. Bottom line, the man couldn't do anything to help his ailing friend. So his situation was extremely bleak. However, it was this impossible circumstance that uncovered his heart's focus. Please don't miss that. It was the impossible circumstance that uncovered his heart's focus. Look at verse 3. When he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders asking him to come and save the life of his slave. Notice the Bible teaches that the man heard about Jesus. Most likely, word had gotten out about Jesus, how he could heal those who were sick, and there's no doubt he can do that. In fact, when he heard about it, this man immediately sent word to the Lord Jesus. There was no doubting from him. There was no curiosity from him. The impossible circumstance. Are y'all listening? Say, I'm listening. A lot of stuff I want to give you this morning, but listen closely. The impossible circumstance became a table upon which the man's faith was made visible. The impossible circumstance became a table upon which the man's faith was made visible. Uh, Check this out for just a moment. If we... You and I are to actually be able to see the level of our faith, then that means God will allow impossible situations to occur in our lives so that we can see where our faith really is. God wants to train us, wants to teach us. And we not only see our faith in these times, but God uses impossible situations to grow our faith. So think about it for just a moment. I want you to consider something today, all right? I'm not just kind of preaching over you. I'm talking to you. Y'all with me? Say yes. I want you right now to literally think about your impossible situation in life. Maybe you've got a loved one who is extremely sick. Maybe your financial situation, uh, your job situation, your marriage situation, is on the verge of death. Maybe some of you college students have a final, but you know it's going to be impossible. Can I get a witness on that? But you're facing that situation. My question to you this morning is, how are you responding to that situation? Now, whenever I face an impossible situation, I have found that oftentimes my vision of Jesus is actually blurred. And the reason that it's blurred is because a few things began possibly to happen in my life. Maybe some of these things have happened in your life as well. But I want to talk to you about how to recognize when your vision of Jesus is blurred by giving you a little acrostic using the word blur. So the first letter of blur is what? B. And uh, it literally means to be bound by fear. 
All right, so your impossible situation comes and you are paralyzed. So you immediately stop and you do nothing. And people are like, you know, I just don't know what to do. I'm just scared to death. What's going to happen next? And so you are paralyzed by fear. Many people respond to impossible situations that way. But here's another way people respond to impossible situations. They linger back into old sins. And somebody's like, well, I guess this is just gonna how it's going to be, man. I, I'll tell you what, I may as well. And then you fill in the blank. They go back to their old sins, their old way of thinking, their old way of living, back to some of the sins they had been previously set free from. And it's amazing, you know, talking with people who, uh, and I gave this illustration this morning because it was heavy on my heart, but there are some individuals that I know who used to be alcoholics, but God radically saved them, brought them out of that lifestyle, and has just begun to use them. But then they face an impossible situation, and that is the moment of temptation for them to fall back into their old alcoholistic ways. So they linger back into sin. Hey, look at the preacher just a moment. Some of you have faced some hard situations, and guess what you are doing right now? You've already lingered back into sin. You're involved in it even as I preach. You know good and well what I'm talking about. You've fallen back into this old attitude, this old anger, this old hatred, this old bad mouth. You're using all of those things, but you're doing it because you're trying to escape the reality of what God has allowed to happen in your life, which is the impossible situation. He's done that on purpose, to teach you to trust him. Y'all out there? Bound by fear, linger back into old sins. And then some people, when they face an impossible situation, they uh, face uncontrollable anxiety. So you find yourself uh, literally stopping and going through a list of what-ifs. Considering the impossible situation, you're like, well, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if, what if? And worry and anxiety just absolutely control your life. You know your vision is blurred when you're bound by fear, leaning back into old sins, uncontrollable anxiety. But here's another one. You experience restless nights. Your impossible situation causes you to lose sleep. You stare at the ceiling, just pondering your situation over and over and over again in your head. What is the problem? Blurred vision. Not looking to Jesus. Impossible situation. Listen, it has revealed that your heart is not focused on him. Can you think about that for just a moment? Y'all are in church this morning. I'm proud of y'all. Came to church on Sunday morning. The whole goal of worship is to focus on Jesus, right? I'm asking y'all a question. Whole point of coming to church is to focus on Jesus, right? Right, so that's what we come and do. But you know what the deal is? Some of you have come in here, and it is impossible for you to do that. Because you've been bound by fear. You linger back into these old sins. Uncontrollable anxiety's got you. Restless. You were up all night last night about your situation. Blurry vision. That was not the centurion's heart. Centurion's heart was quite the opposite. He was clearly set on Jesus. He wanted to get word to Jesus. He wanted others involved in getting word to Jesus. That is the difference. Listen, when you face an impossible situation and you immediately go to Jesus Christ, that is good evidence that your heart is in the right place. You know, every once in a while I run into somebody and they'll be like, well, you know about the old situation. I say, I sure do. And then they say something like this. Well, all we can do now is pray about it. That's a ridiculous statement. What do you mean all you can do is pray about it? That's what you should have been doing from the get-go. Are y'all, am I preaching? It's amazing. All we can do now is pray about it. Like we just said, ain't nothing we can do. God, we've exhausted our energies. You know what I'm saying? Good night. 
We need to focus our attention on the one of whom the Bible says all things are possible. So instead of a blurred vision, which ultimately, by the way, is a sign of unbelief, you run straight to Jesus. You want to get word to him about your situation. And then notice also that he asked the Jewish elders to go talk to Jesus, verses 4 and 5. The Bible says, when they came to Jesus, they earnestly implored him. Listen to what the elders said. He is worthy for you to grant this to him. He loves our nation, and it was he who built us our synagogue. Now, what are the Jewish elders talking about? Here's their thought. Their idea was very simple. Hey, Jesus, uh, this guy, I mean, I know he's a Gentile and all, but if anyone deserves for their slave to be healed, it is definitely this man. He loves Israel. And not only that, he's even given a massive financial contribution to build our synagogue. This guy is worthy. He has earned it. That's what they're saying. But what's interesting about this passage is that Jesus did not marvel at the elders' faith. He was not amazed at their faith. He was amazed at the centurion's faith. But wait a minute. Somebody says, well, they went to Jesus. I thought you just said if we go to Jesus, then that's a sign of great faith. What about these guys? Well, listen closely. Their conversation with Jesus exposed not great faith, but a misunderstanding of faith altogether. Think about it like this. You face your impossible situation, and then you begin to pray. And I'll shoot you straight. The reason I can give you this is because I prayed this way before. Y'all with me? So you go to God and you're like, and I hadn't prayed exactly this prayer I'm about to read, so y'all don't put anything on me, all right? But you pray something similar to this. You're like, wait a minute, Lord. I have sought to live such a good life. And here I am in this impossible situation. But wait a minute, Lord, I've been reading my Bible all the time. Lord, I've been going to church. Lord, I've even given to the church. I've been uh, trying to be nice to everybody. If anyone deserves... For this impossible situation to just flat out be made possible. If anybody deserves that, it's me. You ever prayed like that before? I'm asking y'all a question. Have you ever prayed like that before? Yeah. Over here, I didn't hear y'all. Y'all so spiritual on this side. The real folks is over here. Y'all ever prayed like that before? Lord, I don't know why this is happening. This is what I'm doing. What's up? And so often we pray this way. And we actually think that we earn God's work in our life by what we do. Listen closely. It doesn't display a large amount of faith. It displays a misunderstanding of faith. Check this, and I want you to follow my train of thought. It's a little deeper than I normally go on Sunday morning, but hang with me. You did not earn your salvation by your good works. Amen? So here's the deal. You don't earn God's gracious work in your life by your good works. The Bible says you are saved by faith, and then you are called to walk by faith. So it's not like you're saved by faith. Now, good luck, buddy, that you earn everything else from the Lord. It's not what the Bible teaches. Walk by faith. Walking with the Lord. So when we pray in such a manner as to twist God's arm and somehow make him realize that he owes us a miracle because of something we have done, listen closely. Our heart's focus is not on him. It's actually on us. Therefore, our trust is not really in what he can do. Our trust is in what we have done. So, Lord, I did all this stuff. You ought to be blessing me. You ought to be giving me. You ought to be taking care of this situation. My friend shouldn't be sick. This should not be occurring. That's wrong praying. Y'all out there say yes? So if we face an impossible situation, 
and we're bound by fear, lingering back into old sins, experiencing uncontrollable anxiety, restless nights, or we are praying in such a way as to think we have earned something from the Lord, we are showing that our faith is very teeny tiny. So how can we know the level of faith? Just look at how you respond in life's impossible situations. That is when your heart is exposed. Now, let me go a step further and give you a second statement this morning. And that is we must quietly rest in Jesus' spiritual authority. This is phenomenal truth. If you can grab a hold of this, this will change how you live. Look at verse 6 in your Bible. Now, Jesus started on his way with them. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself further, for I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. Notice, first of all, that the centurion referenced Jesus as Lord. Speaks of honoring Jesus as king and master. So literally, the Gentile centurion is calling Jesus master. And this is wild. He's saying, Lord, don't go out of your way. And then he states the opposite of what the Jewish elders said. Remember, the Jewish elders are like, this guy's worthy. If anybody's worthy for you to heal his servant, this man's it. Notice what this guy says. He's like, no, 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 I am not worthy. Not worthy for you to even come under my roof. Uh, notice that he did not try and twist Jesus' arm and convince him that he deserved anything from Jesus. He wasn't like, Master, hey, I'm the guy that gave so much money to your Jewish buddies so they could build that synagogue. You owe me now. He wasn't praying this way. He understood that he was not adequate or qualified for Jesus to even come under his roof. And he doesn't stop there. Look in your Bible again at verse 7. For this reason, I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. So the centurion understood something about Jesus that most had not understood. The word of Jesus has authority. Verse 8. I also am a man placed under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. See, the centurion immediately identifies with the fact that he is a man under authority. He's giving a picture of Roman authority. Now, if you don't listen to this, you're going to flat out miss it. So are y'all listening? It's like five of y'all. Are y'all listening? I mean, I'm trying to talk to y'all, and y'all just wake up, man, all right? Help me, Rhonda. The Roman authority structure, here's how it rolls out. You got the emperor, then you have governors, and then you end up having the centurion, and then you end up having slaves. So the emperor, when he wanted something done in Rome, he would say the word to the next people on the totem pole, and then it would head down to the centurion, and then to the slaves, and then it would be accomplished. That's how things were accomplished in the government. Now, what is sweet about the text is that the centurion man is making a statement about Jesus. He is recognizing that Jesus is the master of his kingdom. He understood that Jesus, listen, had spiritual authority over the kingdom of heaven. And since that authority structure trumps any other authority structure on earth or even under the earth, the centurion is like, you just say the word and my servant will be healed. So he submits himself to the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one commentator put it like this, if the centurion with his authority could simply order certain things done, how much more could Jesus as Lord do the same? So the governor would just say the word and it will be carried out in the Roman province. Jesus just says the word and it will be carried out. That is heaven's purpose to be declared and determined here on earth. Y'all out there? I mean, I'm sweating up a brick up here. Y'all all right? It's wild how this folds out and what occurs here. 
You know, that's why we pray, Lord, I pray that your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're praying that heaven and earth would meet. And the only way that this occurs is when we fully understand that Jesus has authority over heaven, which ultimately is authority over earth. And when Jesus says the thing to be done, it is always done. The system's put in place really to carry out the purpose of heaven. So think about your impossible situation again. You got it in your brain? Think about it. Are you resting in the fact that Jesus has the spiritual authority to change your circumstance in any single moment? There is nothing outside the authority of Jesus. And there is great, listen, there is great peace and there is great trust in that sort of thinking. However, this means that regardless of what my thoughts about the situation are, I have to trust that if Jesus says go, the situation will change. However, if Jesus decides to say stay, then he is still stretching and strengthening my faith. And the longer we rest in the reality of his spiritual authority, the greater our faith can be tested and grown. Listen, the darker our situation, the more opportunity for our faith to shine brighter and brighter. However, the intensity of our faith is only magnified as we continue to rest in the fact that no matter what, Jesus is in absolute control. He is sovereign over all things. You know, listen closer. This is how I highlighted this in the notes. Our faith is evidenced. Are y'all listening? Say yes. Our faith is evidenced not by the outcome of Jesus' answer to our prayer, but by the fact that we trust him to carry out the authority of his purpose on earth no matter what. Yes, sir. Y'all remember Paul the Apostle? He's in the Bible. Y'all remember him asking you? I'm talking to y'all. Talking to y'all. Y'all remember Paul the Apostle? Slip a hand up. How about that? You remember him? That's a little better. Would y'all agree Paul the Apostle had some pretty large faith? You agree with that? The Bible teaches Paul the Apostle was praying that a thorn will be taken out of his side. He prayed over and over, but the thorn was never removed. So the outcome of his prayer did not determine his faith. His faith was always massive, always large. His faith was always in the Lord. But he was trusting that even if the thorn stayed, that he would sit down and rest in the word of God, which said, my grace is always sufficient for you. The reason I'm kind of uh, harping on that it's because there are some people who are like this. Well, if you have enough faith, then you can get that circumstance changed. That is dumb. Are y'all out there? That is uh, word faith theology. It is false. It's not from the scriptures. So they're like, you, you, you just have enough faith. And it always, by the way, it always ends up on you, doesn't it? Oh, that didn't work out for you. I guess you just didn't have enough faith. Y'all see how backwards that is? By the way, that's called faith in faith, not faith in the Lord. There's a massive difference there. But notice Jesus' response in verse 9. The Bible says, when Jesus heard this, he marveled at him. He turned and said to the crowd that was following him, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. So Jesus literally praises the faith of the centurion and issues a stinging indictment to all of Israel. He's like, no one has ever expressed this kind of faith. Nowhere has anyone had the opposite of small faith, little faith. Nowhere has large faith been witnessed in Israel. No one's trusted the word of God completely. No one has shown that they trust in his spiritual authority over all things. 
You know, I read that describing the era in which Jesus lived, but couldn't I say the same things about the era in which you and I live? Little faith, not trusting his word, not trusting that he's in control. And what's wild is that this random, unnamed, uh, centurion Gentile shows up, and Jesus is like, I ain't seen anything like this. This is amazing. How can I know the level of my faith? How can I measure my own personal faith? Well, I know it's small if I have blurry vision and try to twist God's arm. More importantly, when I'm living with this kind of response to God, when life's impossible situations come, my lack of faith hinders God's work in my life. God has allowed the circumstance to occur to draw me closer to him. But if I have blurred vision or if I am praying improperly, then I am not receiving and growing out of that situation the way God desires. I don't feel like we, y'all with me. Y'all, look at me. Y'all, y'all know I work out, right? This is the best illustration I can possibly give you that I can think of right now. <laughs> I got a Bowflex at the house. Y'all seen these bad boys on television? Sweet rides is what they are. And that guy on the, uh, you know, I, I, I think I've told you I'm a sucker for uh, the uh, as seen on TV stuff. So anyway, they're like this Bowflex, and then I got this old ripped up Joker, and I'm like, ripped up Joker, Bowflex, ripped up Joker, not ripped up, Bowflex, I'll get a Bowflex. <laughs> now I'm ripped up Joker, <laughs> regardless of what you say. But here's the deal, you know, we start off on the bench press, and you go back there, and they don't have the weight, but they got the little rods, and you hook it on there, and you got about 75 pounds. My arms are long, dude. Have you ever thought about how long you got to push 75 pounds up? All these dudes that are bench pressing like 300, their arms are about that long. So, yeah, I can do that too, bro. Right. You get up there and you got to go like this. It's like, you got to extend some energy, baby. You know what I'm saying? So I'm up there and I, I let's just say, I'm just giving y'all illustration. 75 pounds and eventually I can knock that out, baby. I'll be doing that left and right. Y'all with me? So then I go back and what I got to do, if I want to continue to increase muscle, I got to put some more poundage on there. So I put another five pounds on. I'm at it. All right, I got 80 pounds, knocking it back and forth. Do y'all see what's happening? So eventually, I build up resistance. I'm strong enough to go to the next one. God does the same thing in our life. He's like, I'm going to put 75 pounds on you, and we're going to teach you how to walk through it, not in your own strength, but in my strength. And then as you learn to do that, guess what? The pounds are going to get a little bit heavier. But you've already built up resistance. You have learned to trust in me. And God continues to do this over and over in our life. But if we have blurred vision, if we're twisting God's arm, if we're trying to pray improperly and we're doing all these things wrong, we're not trusting in his spiritual authority to carry out his divine plan, then we are totally missing the opportunity to be strengthened in our faith. You know what's wild about that is that you might be in an impossible situation right now and you just got like zero faith in the Lord. You're just not trusting the Lord. It's like, I don't know what's going to happen, but I, I don't, you, there's really no trust in the Lord. Listen, you cannot please God without faith. So the Bible says, Hebrews 11 and 6, it says like this, without faith is impossible to please him. So you've come to worship on a Sunday morning and you've showed up, but your impossible situation has revealed your unbelief. And that's why, listen, you come in here and you can't worship the Lord. You can't sing and trust and love him because your faith is so small. It's teetering on unbelief and it's not pleasing to the Lord. 
Faith is huge when I'm resting in the spiritual authority of Jesus over all things. In this rest, Listen closely. We are led by the Holy Spirit in prayer. And as the Spirit of God controls us, we find that the fruit of the Spirit is evidenced in our lives. That is, we will find the peace of God flowing from our hearts. Thus, no matter how difficult the circumstance, we as believers can remain calm like a sheep under watch by a shepherd. He makes us to lie down in green pastures. And in the midst of exercising this kind of faith, genuine trust in Jesus, we grow closer to him and become more and more like him. Now, for the centurion, Jesus marveled at his faith before he ever healed his servant. Did y'all hear this say yes? Jesus marveled at his faith before he ever healed his servant. The outcome of the servant's health did not reflect the size of the centurion's faith. What determined the size of our faith is our internal response to life's impossible situations. So whether the servant is healed or he is not healed does not display the size of our faith. Whether or not we trust in Jesus' spiritual authority reflects the size of our faith. You know, I was putting the final touches on the message here, and um, I'll, I'll be done here in a second, but I was putting the final stuff down, right? So I'm typing stuff in there and praying, and I'm thinking, man, I hope this is clear. This is a little... You know, off the, the uh, what would you call it? I guess the common path of what's preached in a lot of pulpits. And so I'm, I'm working, I'm working, and all of a sudden my phone rings and my mom's on the horn. So I pick it up and I say, hey, what's happening? And we begin to kind of chat a little bit. And then I say to my mom, hey, listen, uh, you got five minutes? She's like, yeah. I said, well, I want to read through this message and uh, you tell me if it makes sense. Y'all all right? You knew it was going to take me more than five minutes too, though, right? So anyway, I got eight pages. Get ready, woman. But anyway, so I'm, uh, <laughs> Jesus called his mama woman. So I called my mama woman. <laughs> Just trying to be like Jesus, woman. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. So anyway, I read through the whole thing, and I'm like, all right, mama, tell me, does that make sense to you? Is that clear to you? She says, it's very clear. Makes perfect sense to me. I said, um, a couple of other questions, but then I just wrote down what she said to me. She says, if the size of my faith, she's talking to me, all right? If the size of my faith determined everything that God did, your brother would still be alive. Are y'all listening? If the size of my faith determined everything that God did, your brother would still be alive. But then she goes a step further, and she basically says, but I trust and believe God for a miracle, but my faith was strengthened through it all. Because I believed in his sovereignty over all things and came to grips with the fact that he knew best. <laughs> Y'all out there? So some of you, you're in the place today and you're like, impossible situation? Yeah, that's me. That's where I am. Nothing I can do about it. Out of my control. Listen, you need to rest in the authority of Jesus Christ. For he is sovereign over your life. And he will accomplish what he desires and you and I pray and we trust him but our trust isn't necessarily in the outcome our trust is in the Lord that through it all regardless of the outcome we are strengthened in our faith and God uses it and enables us to shine greater with the light of Jesus Christ in the gospel as a result of it does that make sense so I'd encourage you hey Growing your faith. Let me ask it to you like this real quick and we'll be done. Where are you? Little faith or massive faith? Unbelief or big faith? All of us can have big faith. 
This Gentile man had it. You can have it. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together this morning. Speak to hearts now.